You're listening to a sermon preached at First Baptist Church in Farwell, Texas. We are committed to loving God, loving people, and going into the world to share the gospel. We pray you find this message both challenging and encouraging. I'm excited to share God's word with you. Uh, We will actually be in Romans 12, uh, verses 9 through 12 today. That's Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 12. Uh, I'm going to let you in on a secret. You know, we have the, the board out there with the different Bible verses uh, that I, I call it a revival board. Um, and this is actually from one of the chapters that I signed up for. So I'm even more excited to share with you uh, God's word as it comes from uh, that revival board. But as you guys are turning to Romans 12, 9 through 12, I got to make sure I get it right. Um, you know, 2019 is about to end, right? In 2019, it, it was a bit of an odd year, but it was also a pretty rad year when you look at all the positives, right? Um, I'm, we'll do a brief uh, catch-up for, for some of you that maybe you guys didn't see some of the stuff on Twitter, some of the different things going on. But in 2019, we got Disney+, Plus, which is Disney's streaming service that has an insane amount of content on there that you will probably never be able to watch all of it in your lifetime because there's just... I didn't know Disney had that much content on there, but they put a new show out there for us geeks, The Mandalorian, which takes place in the Star Wars universe, and introduced us to this cute little creature that we call Baby Yoda. There he is. Cute little adorable dude uh, in The Mandalorian. If you guys are interested in all the Star Wars and you haven't watched the show yet, all episodes are up there for you, for you to stream. Uh, it's a great show. But we, got, we also got introduced to probably one of the biggest rivalries I have ever seen in my entire life. Bigger than The Rock versus Hulk Hogan back in WrestleMania 20. Bigger than Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant back in before my time. Um, Pie Pies came out with their chicken sandwich and had the audacity, the boldness to claim that it was better than Chick-fil-A's sandwich. I agree, we can boo that. Now, I don't know if the Bible, when it's speaking about Antichrist, false prophets and stuff, if it's referring to pie pies, but they were open on Sunday selling stuff. I'm just saying Chick-fil-A don't do that. Chick-fil-A is holy, so it's, it is what it is. I didn't try it because... Because I'm a Christian and I, and I like Chick-fil-A. But, um, but no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but so that happened. And there was uh, several other things on there. Alan, I know I have another picture back there and I can't recall what it is. Can you go ahead and throw that up there to help me out? There we go. One other crazy thing that happened. Kanye West, one of the most, he's a well-known rapper. If you don't listen to rap, I don't blame you. But he's one of the biggest rappers in our culture. And this year, something radical happened. God got a hold of him, saved him and put out an album that was nothing but worshiping God, which is, it's crazy to think, and I'm not saying Kanye West is like the Apostle Paul, but it's a similar situation where you see someone who had a pretty, well, questionable history, God gets a hold of them, radically changes them, and then we see some of the fruit of that this year, and it was, it was, it was great. He even, um, he has the Sunday service choir that 
travels with them. They do these Sunday services. They put out a, a, really a gospel worship choir album uh, over Christmas break that I, I didn't know about until a friend told me about it. If y'all have a chance to listen to that later, whether it's on Spotify, YouTube, or whatever, look it up. I'm, I'm not kidding. It is great. Uh, some of my friends were like it. They were wanting to get their choir books back out and sing along. So it's, it's great. But 2019 was a radical year. A lot of things happened. Uh, God did a lot of things. God did some pretty cool things. And it's exciting to remember all that stuff. But the year's almost over, right? And 2020 is about to be here before we know it. And so do you have your resolutions ready? How many of you actually do resolutions? Just, just checking. Cool, me and Russ are the only people. Awesome. So, <laughs> but the thing is, oh yeah, TikTok came out. We can skip that. That's the social media thing we don't need to talk about. Um, but 2020 is coming, right? And so people make resolutions every year, you know, hit the gym, be consistent with it. Usually lasts maybe a week if, if we're lucky. Um, you know, maybe spend less money, but that doesn't happen because maybe a new movie came out or a new game came out. That one hits a little close to home because Camilla knows what it's like when a new game comes out and then I'm at home like, oh, I need it. But she's like, no, you don't. But we make these resolutions, right? And we hope, to, we hope to, to fulfill them. We hope to carry them out through the whole year, right? And so, so sometimes we'll write them down and hopefully that'll help us remember them a little bit better. I wrote down a couple mine. I don't know if that's going to guarantee that it will actually come true, but I've been told you write them down and it, it makes it more easier to happen or more likely to happen. So I'm hoping to learn Spanish in 2020. I'm hoping to read about 30 books and learn a new skill. Will those happen? If I'm honest, probably not, but we'll see how it goes. We'll get to the end of the year, and I'll, I'll let you know how it goes. But we all have these resolutions, right? And maybe for some of us, we want to be a better Christian in 2020, right? We want to do a little bit better, maybe pray a little bit more, maybe love others a little bit more, maybe just, just be better overall, right? But here's the thing. Why wait until 2020 to start doing that? Why not start it today, right? But the question is, where do we start, right? Where, where should we start out? I mean, if we go to Scripture, we see in Matthew uh, 22, verses 36 through 40, someone asks Jesus, what is, what is the greatest commandment? What is the most important one? And Jesus says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Sounds great. What does that look like exactly? Well, that's hopefully what we're going to unpack this morning a little bit, so I'm excited to share it with you all. If you can't tell, I'm a little energetic. I might be talking a little too fast. It's just because I'm very, very excited. So let's pray real quick, and then we'll dive into Romans. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we could come together to study your word. God, I pray that this would be a fruitful time where you would challenge us, you would open our hearts and our minds to your word, and that we would be transformed. And God, I pray that your word would be taught accurately and clearly in this time. And it is in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So let's start off, let's read Romans 12, 9 through 12 real quick. Starts off with, let love be genuine. Abhor, or some translations will say, hate, detest, what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful or lazy in zeal, but be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. So we're just going to break these down verse by verse, kind of walk through it a little slowly to get a better grasp of what it means for love to be genuine, what it means to rejoice in hope, and a few things in between. So to start off, we got to go back to verse 9 a little bit and figure out what does genuine love, if love is supposed to be genuine, 
Well, what does that look like? What is genuine love? Is it like the stuff we see in Disney movies? Mm. It comes close at times, but it's, that's not quite it. To get a good idea of this, we can actually go back further up in the chapter to verse 3, where Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. If our love is to be genuine, we got to start with a, with a place of humility first. We, you know, when you think about it, people who love others, they don't really pride themselves. They tend to put other people's cares and needs before themselves, and then they tend to take care of their own stuff last. It's kind of like the book Leaders Eat Last. It's that kind of mentality where they take care of other people's needs before their own because they're putting them before their own needs. So if our love is to be genuine, we have to start in a, in a place of humility, right? Jesus even did this himself to the point where it kind of freaked his disciples out when he started washing their feet. But we need to start in a place of humility. So that's a good place to start. So let's take that, pin it to the, to the back of our brains, and that is where we'll keep that in mind, is that our love needs to be genuine. So it needs to be from a place of humility, not a place of trying to seek our own gain or anything like that. But another way that we're going to understand this as well is in, and I'm sorry, we're going to be bouncing around in a couple of different places in the Bible this morning, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, specifically verses 4 through 7. You probably have heard this uh, said at a lot of weddings um, and things like that, maybe True Love Wade's conferences and things like that. Um, but it says here, this is, how, this, is how this, this is how Paul describes love in this context. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And I think if, after reading that, we probably look at the world and we're like, yeah, the world doesn't quite understand love. Genuine love. Love is to be patient and kind. Are we patient and kind with people? I can tell you because I spend a lot of time on social media, and I probably shouldn't. People are not very patient or kind with one another on there. there there's something about being behind a screen that, that makes people kind of throw off their, their just uh, respect and, and kindness towards others. Are we patient and kind toward those that maybe don't understand something that we understand a little bit better? Or are we a little abrasive when they're trying to learn but we're frustrated because they don't understand or see the things like we do. Do we envy or brag? See, if we're coming from a place of humility, we can't really covet the things that other people have. And that's kind of hard to do. I'm going to be honest, something I struggle with is that, you know, I have some friends that are in youth ministry in different parts of Texas, and I look at their ministries and what's going on, what they're doing, and I'm not going to lie, there's times where I get kind of jealous and it's in those moments where either my wife comes in because she sees what's going on, or I got Holy Spirit is like, this isn't what I called you to. The flashing lights, the smoke and all that stuff, that's, no. You stick to the word, you stick to this, and just worry about that. Don't worry about what's going on over here, you stay in your lane. 
Because if you notice, a lot of times when we compare ourselves with other things, we tend to get really upset with where we're at, with how God maybe hasn't blessed us. And so we envy or we tend to brag to cover up that pain that we have or that jealousy that we feel. And so we aren't really loving in that moment. We're actually angry. And then we become arrogant. We become rude. We insist on our own way. We become irritable and resentful because we're not really taking stock of how God has been there for us and what he has provided for us. And so in that way, for our love to be genuine, we gotta start from a place of humility. We gotta be patient and kind. And we just gotta recognize that that God blesses others differently than he blesses us. That's not, that doesn't mean he doesn't care about us. So it does not rejoice at wrongdoing. And this is a hard one, especially when someone cuts you off on the highway and then they get pulled over minutes later and you're like, yes, they got what they deserved, right? Or someone was mean to us or something or someone offended us and then we see like, I don't know, you can fill in the blank. I'm sure you guys can think of better examples than I can, but you... Someone offends you, something happens to them, and then you're like, yes, they got what they deserved, but did they, did they really? We often find it easier to rejoice at the wrongdoing at someone falling into sin than we do with rejoicing with the truth, right? Rather than rejoicing at someone getting what they deserved, we should instead stop and think about how we didn't get what we deserved in Christ. Because without, I mean, the wages of sin is death, and so the order, in order for us to pay for our debt, I mean, we would have to die for it. But Christ came and died, paid the debt that we couldn't pay so that we could be free. And because of that, we can go tell others about that. So instead of rejoicing at the wrongdoing, let's rejoice with the truth. For our love to be genuine, that's what we have to do. It could be sharing the gospel. It could be rejoicing with the truth, knowing that, yeah, though we stumble, we got Jesus. So that's something to think about. But love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. One of the things that, and I know people warn me about bringing this up all the time, but I, but I just, it's okay. I used to work at Apple, and one of the things, um, yes, I'll do tech support for you, um, one of the things that they did in, in the Apple stores, this was a huge thing in, in the culture of an Apple store, was something called assuming positive intent. And how this works is, is when you assume positive intent, when you approach to give someone feedback, whether it's about a transaction or a workshop where you taught something, you assume a positive intent. It's basically giving the benefit of the doubt. Remember one example uh, Clearly, this was within the first year I was working there. We had these things called floater phones, which are basically iPhones that we use that if we need to call AT&T, Sprint, Verizon, if we have an issue, we take those from the back, we call them, resolve the issue, and then we put it back. Well, it was busy. It was Christmas season, and I'm going to be honest, I, I lost track of the phone. I left it on the Genius Bar thing out in the open. Anybody could have taken it. And, uh, and by the time I finished that interaction, I was like, oh, I didn't grab the phone. So I went back to look for it, and it wasn't there, and I was like, Oh no, there goes like my next three paychecks. <laughs> but one of our experts, which is basically a higher up, came up to me and said, you know, hey, great interaction. Appreciate how you were patient with the customer. I know working with Verizon is, is a pain at times, but I'm glad that you, you stuck through it. Do you still have that floater phone? And I was like, I, I don't. I, uh, it was there and now it's not. And he pulled it out of his back pocket and he's like, don't lose these. They're very expensive. And I'm like, I know that. I just sold one. 
where he says, you know, just go put it in the back, don't do it again, it's fine. There's a difference between assuming positive intent and assuming the worst, which is way too easy for us to do in our culture. We assume everybody's out to get us, we assume everybody is meaning the worst when they speak to us or trying to give us feedback. But what would happen if we assumed positive intent? What would happen if we looked at our brother and sister in Christ that maybe struggles or made a mistake and we said, hey, I love you because Christ loves you, I get it, we make mistakes, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. It's no big deal. Just roll with it. Believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love endures so much. And for those of us in here that, that are married for any length of time, you know that the stuff that you go through in life, it could be a variety of things, your spouse helps you get through it. There's a lot of things that I go through in life, which is eh, it's pretty much every day because I have a lot of anxiety and I freak out about literally everything. But my wife tends to get me through that because of that love that we share. But not only that, she reminds me of the love that I have in Christ, that no matter what happens, even if I can't fix a faucet or something, Christ still loves me. So that love endures all things and endures all trials, and it is genuine. So that right there is what it means for love to be genuine. Because I think if you notice, if we go back to Romans 12, that if our love is genuine like that, then we'll naturally detest or hate what is evil. Because we see how good God's love is for us, and so we want to share that with others. We want to go through that. We want to share it with others. We want to live in that. We want to experience it. We want to just live and breathe it. So we'll naturally hate what is evil, and we'll hold fast to what is good. Some translations say cling. I love that word cling because it reminds me of the time uh, several Christmases ago when my grandparents and they were about to leave the house, and I was just like, I didn't want them to leave. So I saw this on like some movie, I think it was like Home Alone or something, that if you like wrap yourself around their leg, they can't move. So I wrapped myself around my grandma's leg, and my grandma's super strong, so she managed to drag me out the door. (laughs) But that's the imagery that we have. We should cling to what is good so much that we are wrapped tightly around it, and we don't want to let go. We've got it in a vice grip. If you're a wrestling fan, you've got it in a headlock. You don't want it to go away. So... For our love to be genuine, it needs to start from a place of humility, which I would argue it needs to start with Christ, which will then teach you humility, and then it needs to go through the 1 Corinthians 13 test of patience, kindness, not being jealous, not bragging about what you do or don't have, but being genuine in those principles. So that's a great place to start, and honestly, that could be the sermon, but There's still more to go through, so let's go to verse 10. So verse 10 also says to love one another with brotherly affection. So we're still on the theme of love, right? To love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Now, I'm curious, and I'm a youth pastor, so of course crowd interaction is a thing that I do. How many of you have brothers or sisters or siblings? Okay. So you all know that there's a certain, there's a difference in those kind of relationships, right? You love each other, but at the same time, you kind of want to strangle each other. And that's very true for me and my brother. Growing up, you know, we, we had this brotherly affection. We loved each other. We would play games. We were very competitive. We, our main sport was basketball. So we would always try to outdo one another in a game of horse or just a game on one-on-one. He's a couple years older than me, so he had the height advantage, so he always won. 
But we had this, this, this relationship where we loved each other, we would compete, we would try to outdo one another in different things, whether it's a video game, basketball. But there were times where we got a little too competitive and we would either argue or maybe shove one another, get into a verbal disagreement. So there's that, right? But if you think about it, church isn't really much different. Our church family isn't much different. We love our family, but there's times where we might disagree. There's times where we might get competitive with one another, and, and we might, there might be some friction. But we know that at the end of the day, we still love each other, right? There were times where me and my brother would be at odds. We would, we would have been in a bad argument, a bad fight or something. But I remember distinctly, I would go on the playground. If someone picked on me, my brother would show up out of nowhere like a ninja. I don't know how he does this. But he would show up and tell the other person to back off. Me and my brother were still in a disagreement, but he would show up to be like, no, 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 you leave him alone. Or if I was hurting or something, he would come by and be like, hey, are you doing okay? See, that's how our brotherly affection should be towards one another, is that even though we may disagree on some things, even though we may argue sometimes, our love should still be genuine towards one another, and we should still be there for one another. But not only that, there should be a level of competitiveness between us to outdo one another in showing honored, showing glory to God. We even see this fulfilled in Hebrews where it says, consider then how to spur one another on to good works. Rather than getting jealous at what God is doing through someone's life, we should be like, well, how can I come alongside and, and help? How can I serve? How can I encourage? How can I bless? What can I do in that? And we start this, this cycle of where we just, while we're serving God, we wind up serving each other, and that love just continues to cultivate. It continues to grow in its genuine nature and it just begins to blossom and grow and change. So something to think about as we go into 2020 is, is our love genuine? Does our love show Christ? Does our love grow or cultivate that kind of culture? Is our love genuine? But as we go into verse 11, we're going to see uh, it, it changes a little bit. It changes tone, but it still kind of stays, stays on key here. Because Paul was talking about to outdo one another in showing honor, right? Well, it goes on to then switching over into serving, loving God, serving the church. And we see this in do not be slothful in zeal or do not be lazy in some translations, as it'll say. But be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Now, here's the thing. The word in the Greek well, the word for fervent in Greek is, and I'm probably not pronouncing this correctly, but it's ziontis. Everybody say ziontis. There you go. You learn a new word so you can surprise people at your future uh, Christmas things you have to go to today. So the thing is, is that in this verse specifically, these different things, they all have to be taken together. You can't take them apart because if you take them apart, then you wind up on one side of the spectrum and, it, and it's kind of disastrous. Because Paul starts off here, do not be slothful or lazy in zeal. It means do not be lazy in showing honor to God. Do not be lazy in showing uh, your, your faith. Do not be lazy in sharing it. Do not be lazy in serving God. Because the thing is, if you're lazy in showing or serving God, then you don't really do anything. You may have a lot of faith, but you're not really doing anything. And let me back up a little bit. I'm not saying that you have to like do all these things in order to be a Christian. I'm just saying that as God continues to work on you, you, you rest in his love and you grow in that, that should produce some change to where you're not lazy to share that with others, but you're excited to share that with others. So that way, 
you are then serving God and glorifying him, and you're not being lazy in doing so because you are working for him. But now the other part of this is the downside of it is, and this is a, a tendency that we have in our American culture, is that we like to work, 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 work to the point where we're, we just exhaust ourselves. So there's got to be a balance there at some point. We've got to recognize that God has given us gifts to use, to share in the church, to uh, cultivate uh, other relationships, to grow other people, to encourage other people, to give other people opportunity to grow, to make those mistakes and learn. But there's also got to be times we've got to realize our limits and, and kind of put, put the brakes on a little bit. You can glorify God while resting, believe it or not. So we shouldn't be lazy to show zeal. We shouldn't be lazy to, to exercise our faith. But at the same time, we should also be fervent in spirit. And I had to look up what Zeontus even meant. I took like two semesters of Greek in seminary, and that was like several years ago to the point where because, you know how it is when you learn something, if you don't practice it enough, you forget it. So I had to look it up. And the phrase literally translates to boiling. Now, I don't go in the kitchen very often for obvious reasons because I can't cook, in case you didn't know. Uh, Y'all can ask some of my youth leaders about queso and how that was a big whole ordeal. But... I know what it means to boil water, right? And I'm not very well versed in science, but I know the science enough that when something is boiling, it's heating up the molecules to where they are bouncing around more energetic than a junior high student drinking a Red Bull at camp. And it was their fifth one, and it's time for lights out, and they can't go to sleep. But we should be energetic in spirit to serve the Lord. We should be willing to serve God. But a lot of times we get asked to serve on maybe the youth ministry, children's ministry or something, and we give the Christian no, which is, I'll pray about it. See, y'all laugh because I think some of y'all used it recently. It's okay, I did too. But, but we shouldn't, I mean, here's, re- here's really the core of this, is that if our spirit isn't boiling, if we're not on fire for God, if we're just kind of lukewarm and we're just coasting, Y'all, if you go to Revelation, you see that God doesn't really like lukewarm Christians. He says very clearly that he will spit them out of his mouth, which is super gross. But we shouldn't be lazy in the spirit to the point where we're waiting on God so much that we're not doing anything, but we shouldn't be working ourselves to the bone to where we're ineffective for Christ. There should be a middle point where we're excited to share our faith, we're excited to exercise it, we're excited to grow, we're excited to read, we're excited to learn. And that should, that should change things. Because as you do that, as you live that out, as your love is genuine, as you consider how to spur one another on to good works, as you're exercising God's gifts that he's given you within the church and within your community, that has an impact that you may not see right away, but you'll see it later on. And you may not ever see it, but it has an impact. I still remember to this day how I would get up when I was, you know, after I became a Christian in high school and I was getting very serious about it, I would go to church early in the mornings and like prep the coffee and stuff, which is why I love the coffee bar down there so much, um, and get that stuff together and help people out. And there, my, next, my neighbor that was across the street would always see me get in my car, go to church that morning, and he'd be like, if that little 16-year-old can get up this early, go to church, and be this responsible, why can't I do it? And he started going to church. He became a deacon after a while. So you never know what you exercising your faith is going to do, but trust me, it has some pretty big effects. It has some long-term ramifications that grows uh, in ways that you may not see or ways you may see. But our love should be genuine. We should seek to serve God and share those gifts with others. 
Now we come to the last part, and this is probably the most difficult verse that I had or that I was, was studying and prepping this as I read it several times. So verse 12 then says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. We all have gone through some rough things in 2019. You know what you've gone through. I know what I've gone through. We all can think of a couple different things that we've gone through that really pushed us to our limits, that really tested us. And as you think about that, you kind of have to think, not to re-experience the pain or to relive that, but to just really ask yourself, how did I react in those situations? Was I hopeful? Was I patient? Did I pray? Because I think a lot of times we, we tend to lean more heavily on the side of the glasses half empty rather than the glasses half full. And there's some people who say that the glass doesn't even exist because it's, it's a metaphor, but those guys are no fun. But, but you really got to think about that, right? Because think about, think about the gospel for a second. What is this hope that we even have that we can rejoice in, right? I covered it a little bit earlier. But what is this gospel? What is this hope that we can rejoice in? We know it's Jesus, right? But what exactly? Let's unpack that for a second. Let's really think about what happened, what we just celebrated last week on, on Christmas. Jesus, God, wrapped in flesh, the word himself, came to earth to live as a human, fully God, fully man, to live a life of perfection, to die on the cross for God's glory, to satisfy God's wrath against our injustice, our sin, to free us from that, so that though we may still struggle with it, we don't, the power that sin and temptation have isn't there anymore if we're in Christ. But not only did Christ die for our sins, he rose again three days later. You can go to Jesus' tomb. Russ was there earlier this year, I believe, and was Jesus there? No. Jesus is ruling and reigning now. And he is forgiving sinners day in, day out, 24-7, 365. And that's the hope that we can rejoice in, is that Christ saves sinners. But not only does Christ save sinners, he equips them, he redeems them through the Holy Spirit. And the best thing about God's word is, and I love using this in, Seriously, when you pray, use God's word and just use that to remind yourself. I love the verse that says, he who started a good work in you will finish it, will see it through to the day of completion. Is it the day of completion? No. So that means God is still working. That's the hope that we have, is that we may stumble, we may mess up, we may make mistakes, we may not keep our resolutions. We may not wind up looking like the rock by the end of 2020, and that's okay. That's okay. That's what I'm shooting for in 2020. Get buff, I guess. But we can rejoice in the hope that God saved us. God provided a way for us to be saved, to be redeemed, to be built up, to be encouraged, to, to realize that the power of sin is really powerless. We don't have to listen to it anymore. To be patient in tribulation. To be patient in those times when things just don't go our way. Because God may be using that to grow you, to equip you, to challenge you to grow in your faith. So in our tribulation, we ought to be patient as well, which is not always the easiest thing to do. This is one that I struggle with a lot. 
Anytime something unexpected comes up, I just, I go into full-on panic mode. But it's in those moments where God's saying, you're not in control. And there's a reason for that. There's purpose in your pain. And so as we go into 2020, we need to remember that the things that come up, it doesn't mean that God hates us or God's mad at us. It means that things are going to come up. That doesn't mean that God is withdrawing from us. It means that God's right there probably even more than he's ever been, maybe. But as we pray, we get constant in prayer. We remind ourselves of this. And so when it comes to rejoicing and hope and being patient in tribulation, if we are constant in prayer, those things get a little bit easier to do. One of my favorite thing, one of my favorite theologians is Charles Spurgeon. You guys probably know this because anytime I get up here to preach, I always quote him. But one of the things, I read his book, The Power in Prayer, uh, over uh, this fall break, fall winter break, and one of the things that he says in there about praying is pray for prayer. And I'm like, that's a weird thing to say. Pray for prayer. But he's saying pray for prayer because you may not have the words. So pray for God to give you the words. Pray for God to help you with prayer. Pray for God to help you to be consistent in prayer. But to not worry if you can't find the right words, because even if you don't find the right words, that's probably when you're praying the most. Because if you think about it, the Holy Spirit's with us, right? The Holy Spirit is groaning with words, with sounds too deep for words on our behalf at all times. So as we pray, we join the Holy Spirit in praying to God, talking to our Heavenly Father who can help us love like he loves, who can help us be patient in the tribulations, who can help us rejoice with hope in those things. And then one last thing with this before I begin wrapping up. Um, When it comes to prayer, I would even challenge us to pray for literally everything. Like, you mean everything? Oh, I mean everything. Another book I read this year was by, uh, it was just about George Mueller, who was a great man of faith, really big on prayer. There he is right there, awesome beard. Um, I read his his biography where he just, he prayed for literally everything. He was building orphanages and doing different ministries and stuff across uh, Europe. And there were times he didn't have any money to, to do these things. Even when he was a pastor, he didn't have any money. He didn't take a salary. He didn't take any payment. He said, I will depend fully on God. And he prayed, and God provided every step of the way. It's kind of wild to read how God provided for him every single step of the way. But he would pray for literally everything. Even if he lost the keys to his house, he would pray, God, help me find my keys until he found the keys. And then he would praise God for helping him find his keys. Do we pray for everything like that? Let me back up up to a different question. Do we think God cares even about the little things like that? Because I can assure you he does. I can assure you he does. So as we go into 2020, those are things that we can hope for. And really just to kind of put a bow on it, Romans 15, 13 says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. By the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Please don't go into 2020 without relying on the Holy Spirit. Because without that, then yeah, you're, you're trying to do all this that ain't, ain't gonna you're not going to get very far. You need to rely on the Holy Spirit. You need to lean not on your own understanding, but lean on God's and go forth with that. Now, I teased earlier about how the airline, we almost didn't make it home. And so here's the story behind that. And trust me, this fits in. 
So we were flying in from Dallas to Amarillo, and I'm excited. I'm like, finally, we're going to be home. There's going to be good Wi-Fi, good coffee. I get to see my dog. Yes. So we're flying into Amarillo. And they kind of let us know before we took off that the weather was kind of a little questionable. For those of you that, that maybe didn't know, this past uh, Friday uh, in Amarillo, the whole Lubbock area, really just around here in general, there was a lot of fog. It was pretty dense, pretty thick. And so as we were making our descent into, that's about what it looked like actually right there. Probably a little bit thicker than that. Um, I think that one's from Chicago actually uh, from Friday. But regardless, um, we were making our descent, and you kind of know when the plane's about to land, right? It, it kind of la- angles up like that, so the back landing gear lands first, and the front goes, you, and you kind of can feel it. The engines start decelerating it a little bit. And so I just kind of leaned my head back and was just, like, preparing for it because, I, you know, it just, I get a little nervous. Um, but the fog was so thick that when you looked out the window, you couldn't tell if that was fog or the clouds. So we didn't know how close to the ground we were. So as we were coming down, at that moment, I felt the engines kick back up and we flew off back into the air. And I'm like, okay, that's not normal. So did we almost hit something? Like, what happened? And so the pilot comes on and says, says, tells us that, yeah, we had to fly back up into the air because we couldn't, they couldn't see the lights. They couldn't see the runway. They couldn't see anything. And so they weren't sure that where they were landing was actually going to be the runway. And I was like, oh, oh cool. <laughs> Well, at least we're back up in the sky, I guess. And then they, and then they come back on and say, you know, we're going we're gonna to try and figure some things out and see if we have enough fuel to make another attempt. I'm like, we don't have enough fuel to make another attempt? <laughs> it's like, okay. I hope we have enough fuel. Um, great. So they come back on and they're like, well, if we did our math right, and I'm like, please don't start your sentences off with that. <laughs> Just say you did your math right. Uh, but I said, if, hey, we, if we did our math right, we, we can do another attempt. So we're going to do another attempt. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Please do it. Please do it. And what's funny is I was reading about prayer the whole time. Like I said, I read that Charles Spurgeon book. And so I was read, reading about prayer the whole entire flight. And I was like, I think this would be a good time to start praying. <laughs> so they, they, get their, they get stuff lined up. They're starting to make their final ascent. And I, my eyes are closed. I am praying. Camilla's a few rows ahead of me sitting next to a lovely uh, elderly couple. And she's looking back at me. And she sees my eyes closed. And she's like, he's praying. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not say anything. And so we start making our descent. I feel the thing. I feel the plane kind of go to the, make its position like it's going to land again. And I'm like, okay, here we go. Here we go. I'm like, God, let them see the lights, clear the fog, do what you need to do to make sure that we get home, everybody gets home safe, and we're fine. And it keeps going, it keeps going, and I'm still praying. I'm like, I'm not stopping praying until we hit the ground. Actually, I might not even stop praying until I'm home in, in, in Farwell. But then we start getting close, and then some people look out the window, and I hear someone shout. We feel the landing gear land, hit the runway, the front one lands, and then you hear the engines roar because they're trying to decelerate. And the plane just, like, we hear a lady several rows back go, praise Jesus, and then, like, everybody starts clapping and hollering and stuff. And then the pilot comes back on. And he's like, oh, good, y'all know that we landed. Okay, well, we're here. <laughs> but it was wild. It was crazy. It was intense. We didn't know what was going on because of the intense amount of fog. And, guys, I have to wonder how many of us are going to go into 2020 flying around in the fog like that. And we're not using the lights to guide us. Y'all, if we want to grow in Christ, if we want to be better Christians, so to speak, we've got to use the light to guide us to our destination. 
Because without that, we will be left to wander aimlessly, we will be left to fly around, and we will be eventually out of fuel. And then where will that leave us? So what I want to challenge you with is a couple things as we go into 2020. As we go into 2020, let's make, let's resolve, let's make a resolution to get into the word, to use that as our guiding light more so than we ever have in the past. And a great way we can do that is, is by signing up for those, that board back there with the different Bible verses. I know the Old Testament is kind of scary, but trust me, it's well worth the trek, it's well worth the struggle uh, with some of the big words. But let's resolve to make the Bible our light that will guide us in 2020. But let me also challenge some of you in here that may not have a relationship with Jesus. I wanna challenge you to not go into 2020 wandering around, flying around in a dense fog, not knowing where you're gonna land or where you're gonna go. I wanna challenge you that here in a few minutes as, as the praise team comes forth, we're gonna have a time where really you can just respond. If you have never, ever put your faith in Christ, if you have never accepted him into your heart, I wanna challenge you to come forward to speak to me or Russ, and we would love to pray with you. We would love to share with you the gospel and just share that with you. Maybe just answer some questions that you may have, but don't leave here today and go into 2020 wandering in the fog anymore. You can go into 2020 with clear skies, but even in the storm, Christ alone, right? Thank you for listening to this sermon. If you'd like more information about our church or have any questions regarding the sermon you just heard, we would love to hear from you. You can visit our website at www.fbcfarwell.org or send an email to info at fbcfarwell.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching FBC Farwell. It is our prayer that the sermon you listened to was equally challenging and edifying to your walk with Christ. Thank you again for listening and have a blessed week.